0: Now standing there were six stone jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Grace, Grace, mercy, and peace be with you all from God our Creator and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are invited to the wedding at Cana in Galilee today, where Jesus performed his first sign, transforming water into wine. So I have been thinking about weddings this week, especially my own. Phil and I will be celebrating 20 years on July 24th, and I have his blessing to tell you some stories. I remember our wedding day here at St. Philip the Deacon. When Phil saw me in my wedding dress for the first time, I was carrying my bouquet of calla lilies, lovely long green stems with white flowers at the end, and his first words to me were not, I am the luckiest man in the world. They were not, you are a ravishing bride. They were, why are you carrying (laughs) leeks? That could have been a clue that we would not perhaps have the kind of marriage which was verbally romantic and (laughs) lovey-dovey. However, he had given up his entire life in England to come to Minnesota and marry me and I consider that to be a very romantic act. It was a lovely ceremony, everything I had hoped and dreamed. Family, friends, and members of the church celebrated with us. Jesus was here, too, in the bread and the wine in the worship, in the joy and in the love. Two of Philip's friends came from England for the wedding, and they stayed on for a while. It was, after all, a long trip, so... I did spend the first week of our honeymoon with three gentlemen. (laughs) Philip, Andrew, and Steve. All good friends who had worked together for decades in horse racing in Europe. I still haven't heard all of Phil's racing stories, some of which are not pulpit worthy, but all of which are enormously entertaining. Phil and I have been rubbing along together pretty nicely all these years. I have even learned that Philip prefers direct communication to the silent treatment. (laughs) So that's good. To be fair, I probably try his patience more than he tries mine. After all, in addition to being known to some of you as Saint Philip the Husband, others call him poor, long-suffering Phil. (laughs) Our wedding banquet was a lot of fun, Phil gave a beautiful thank you speech at the start of it, which just about moved me to tears. The only thing that went wrong, and I do think it must be a universal law of weddings that some little thing has to go awry, was that somehow the wine was not put on the tables until the meal was well underway. It's not that the servers were just standing around, they were all working hard, Maybe they were short-staffed, maybe somebody forgot. Well, eventually they corrected the situation, but our guests may have gotten a bit thirsty before the wine appeared. Which, of course, brings us to our gospel reading today, the wedding at Cana. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. They arrived while it was in progress. Weddings lasted several days, and it was a sacred obligation of the hosts, to keep the guests fed the whole time. It would be a social disgrace for the bride and groom if anyone went home hungry or thirsty. Jesus' mother was already there. Just a chapter before in the majestic prologue to John, we heard this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In chapter two, we learn that the word has a mommy and she is concerned because the wine has run out at the wedding banquet. So she looks to her son to do something about it. He hasn't done any signs or miracles yet. This will be his first one, but let's stop and consider for a moment that she already knows that Jesus' daddy is the Holy Spirit, that a star in the sky proclaimed his royal birth and brought the Magi to him, That when he was 12 and she and good husband Joseph couldn't find him, where did he show up? But in the temple, speaking with wisdom beyond his years, and wondering why his parents didn't know that he'd be in his father's house. So I think his mom, of all people, would have a deep knowing about her son. So when, horrors, the wine ran out at the wedding banquet, she turned to him to save the day. And in spite of the fact that he said his hour had not yet come, which in John means his death on the cross and his resurrection, and did a shiver run up Mary's spine when he said those words, well, Mary knew that her son could be counted on. And she said to the servants, just do whatever he tells you. Now, if you are a servant at the wedding, this is where your day gets really interesting. You know the six big jars sitting there are made of stone, which preserves the purity of water that normally filled them. You know they hold up to 180 gallons, and that the water was used for washing hands before and after meals, and also for washing cups and vessels and tables, for religious purity as well as simple cleanliness. You know that with so many guests using the water, the jars were depleted. Jesus tells you to fill the jars with water. And you do as you were told. Of course, it's very hard work to go back and forth to the well over and over, filling smaller containers, lugging them to the stone jars, pouring it in, going back for more, and deciding to fill them all, all the way up to the brim. But you do it, and anyway, There is something about this guy, Jesus, that makes you want to be around him and and do what he says. But all the time you're wondering, what difference could all this water possibly make to the wine crisis? No sooner have you filled the jars than Jesus says to draw some out and take it to the chief steward. Really? Okay, we do as we're told, but wait. What you are drawing out of the jar is not the water you poured in. It is now wine. You, lowly servant with your own eyes, are the first to witness that the water has changed into wine. Gallons and gallons of it, enough for the wedding, enough for the whole village enough for the bride and groom to serve for a long time to come. You are the first to see what Jesus has done, and no one has ever seen anything like it. Jesus tells you to take it to the chief steward, so with awe and wonder you do, wide-eyed and carefully carrying a miracle. He doesn't know where it came from, and he wonders why they kept the best wine for last. But you know, you, lowly servant, doing what you are told, you get to see the miracle. In fact, be a little part of it. I wonder, did you go back to Jesus? Did you look into his eyes, your questions unspoken, knowing that something way beyond wine was happening? And did Jesus maybe put a hand on your shoulder and give you a smile? And then would you, along with Mary and the disciples, start to connect the dots? Would you be reminded of wine images from your scriptures? Abundant wine in the Bible was a sign of nothing less than God's goodness. Three images about food in the Bible abundant wine, abundant grain, and abundant oil were images of the generosity of God, and of a golden age to come. Amos had proclaimed, The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. Amos' prophecy points toward a new age when God's Messiah will enter history and restore Israel. It happened that day at Cana in Galilee at a wedding when Jesus turned water into wine and the servants got to carry it in their own hands. Friends, you baptized children of God, you are servants too who are given the opportunity every single day to carry a miracle into the world. In fact, when we come together here in worship, one of the things that happens to us is that we're filled up with the abundant goodness and generosity of God. Like Amos' mountains dripping with wine, God's extravagantly abundant love flows into us precisely with the purpose of sending us back into the world with hands dripping with the miracles that our world so desperately needs. I don't know what miracles your hands are carrying, but I know without a doubt that the world needs what you have to give. The miracle of the servants carried in their hands was a vessel of water turned into wine. The miracle in your hands takes all kinds of different forms. Maybe a time of prayer with someone that brings comfort. A moment of vulnerability and intimacy with a dear one. An act of reconciliation from an injury long ago. Maybe the miracle you carry looks like that. Or maybe it's an ordinary bag of clothing given to interfaith, which God gets to the person who needs it for an interview for a job that changes the family's future. Or it may look like an ordinary sack of groceries, that fill a tummy so a child can concentrate in school. It may seem like ordinary arts and crafts with kids of families moving forward, but God uses it to say the church is a place that cares about you, where you always belong. Water into wine, water into wine. You just never know what you are carrying that is the miracle God wants you to share with the world. So, my friends, this week, let's think about all the miracles that are placed into your hands and how you are called to share them. And know this, God's love and goodness and generosity will flow through whatever you hold. What a gift it is to be carriers of the miracle of love into God's world. In the name of Jesus, Amen.